So we're, uh, we're going to be speaking through the book of Joshua. We've already done chapter one uh, last year. Seems like such a long time ago, doesn't it? Last year. But today we're going to be in Joshua chapter two. And, and the reason that Joshua is so important and significant, I really believe for us living in this day, is because it, it is about taking the land that God had given to the nation of Israel from the enemy. And we're living in a day in which there is land that needs to be taken. There are lives that need to be changed. There are families that need to be saved. There are individuals who need to be healed. And when you begin to put it in perspective, it, it really does take a lot. Israel wandered in the wilderness out of Egypt for 40 years. And they were slaves in Egypt. So they were not warriors. They weren't trained to fight. What they were trained to, to do was to listen to the voice of God. And most of them didn't. But God took a handful, a remnant, and he brought them into a promised land. And immediately they were going to face giants in the land. They were going to face enemies and conflicts and difficulties. And they were untrained for that, really. But God didn't want them to be the best warrior. He wanted them to be the best listeners. Listen to the voice of God. Follow God in what he does. And so they would cross over the Jordan, and as they would cross over, the first city they were going to encounter was a city by the name of Jericho. It's really interesting because Jericho, according to the Bible and its location, didn't exist among early archaeologists in the 19th and 20th century. They said the Bible is wrong. There was no Jericho. It did not happen the way it happened. The walls didn't fall, as the Bible says that they did. And then one great British archaeologist was challenged to follow the directions given in the Bible for the location of Jericho. And what he did, he found it. And they excavated it. And the Bible account, we're going to deal with this in a, in a couple of weeks, the Bible account says that the walls fell flat. It seems pretty amazing that you could walk around a building six times and then seven times on the seventh day and a building would just fall flat and you could just walk in and take the, uh, take the enemy. And yet what they found out was that the walls that were designed, the way the walls were designed, they were literally designed without any support, any buttress to hold them up. So after 13 times circling a city, the entire city was standing on the outside of that wall. And the weight of the wall, God used the weight, the design of the wall, the people on the wall, to literally collapse the building. When they did the excavation, they found that all the walls had literally fallen flat, just as the Bible said. And Pritchard, this great archaeologist of Great Britain, who was not a Christian, said the Bible is the most historically accurate book that I've ever encountered in antiquity. Now, why do we say that? We say that because your faith should not be groundless. Your faith should be solid and based on the Word of God. So that when you open your Bible, you have reason for confidence you have reason to say that God, when God spoke, God meant what he said, and God will do what he said he will do in Scripture. Because if you don't have that promise, then when you go to God for salvation, how do you know he's going to keep his word? When you go to God for prayers and answers to prayers, how do you know God is going to keep his word if he's inconsistent? 
But to see the Bible is the word of God, living and active, and it has promises for you and, and me on a daily basis. So I wanna give you today some rules for victory. How many of you need a victory in your life today? Amen? Well, if you don't need one yet, you will. How about that? You know, you say, I got all the victory I need, don't even need this message, I'm gonna tune out, and I'm gonna surf a little bit on my phone. Well, you can do that, but I think you might find something helpful. And as I went through this list, I realized that this list is not just helpful in your spiritual life, it's actually helpful in your business life. So this is a transferable concept. Let me give you the first one. The first uh, rule is walk by faith. Now we're gonna go in depth, but I wanna give you the four just to begin with. The next one is commit your way unto the Lord. Now just think about those first two thoughts. Walk by faith, what's the option? Walk by sight. If you walk by sight, you're always going to be confused. You're always going to be challenged because the things in this world will lead you down a different path. You'll say, well, there's no hope. There's no answers. There's confusion. No, walk by faith. The third one is never accept defeat. Never accept defeat. You know, I've known people that they accept defeat on every hand. Well, I just can't win. I just, you know, nothing's going right. And they always have a sad story for you, you know? And then other people say, well, you know what? I may have fallen down, but I'm getting back up. I may have lost, but I'm gonna win later. This might be a, a setback, but I've got a comeback coming in my life, amen? You see, it all is about perspective. And if you say, I am not going to accept defeat, the Bible says in Proverbs that the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked falls in the day of calamity. See, they don't get back up. You wanna get back up and you wanna say, I am going to win. And the last one is, see the big picture. If you don't see the big picture of what's going on in the Bible and in life, you're gonna miss out. It's kinda like people, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, it's just too hot today. And I say, well, you're, you're worried about the weather. You need to be concerned about the climate. Like people say, well, you know, and, and we've had a few people move to places like Nashville and Florida and Texas, and uh, they say, I went down there and the weather was great. Well, what day did you go? <laughs> you see, you're, you're not, you can't judge it by weather, you have to judge it by climate. So let me ask you, what's the climate of your life, of your spiritual life? Not the weather, you're gonna have setbacks, you're gonna have days of, of discouragement and defeat and maybe even a little light depression. But that can't be the climate of your life. You have to let the climate of your life be the big picture of who God is and what God is doing in your life. And you look back over your life and look at the mountain peaks that God is, has created in your life of great victory and great wins and great faith. Go to those and let those be the basis of understanding God's work. Now, one of the things we do in January, we've done this for a number of years here at Influence, is we do a 21-day fast. Now, that's probably scaring you right now if you've not been a part of one of these. You say, you mean you don't eat for 21 days? Is that a problem? <laughs> well, that's not exactly accurate. The way we do it is uh, we start on the 21st of January, and then we end right before our anniversary, which is on February 12th. And then we ask you to, to think about something you could fast from. You know, you say, well, I, I'd like to do without a meal a day. Well, that would be a fast. 
Well, I'd like to do without coffee. I can't do that one, but that would be a great one to do. Like, I'm going to do without that. Or I might go without two meals a day. But you see, we, we like to let you decide how you're going to engineer your fast. You say, well, why should I fast? Well, you should fast because the Bible says when you fast. That's what Jesus said, not if you fast. So fasting is considered to be something that believers do. The other thing is the power. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 21, when, when the disciples could not cure a boy that was inflicted by demonic, Jesus said, well, this kind, this kind of demon you're talking about, does not come out except by prayer and fasting. You see, so fasting is a, is a big component. Why Jesus, when, when he came after his baptism, he went into the wilderness, he had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And immediately he was confronted by the enemy. Why? You see, he was ready because he'd been fasting. So I, I just want to congratulate my wife and let you know that she has a new book that just came out called Fasting with God. And uh, so proud of you and the work. And it, uh, I thought it was going to be a little skinny book and I could read pretty quick and it turned out to be a pretty thick book. But she reminded me that it's a workbook and it's not that thick. Now, guys, you know, they like thin books with lots of pictures, amen? <laughs> right? It's the ladies that like the big novels. But we, we, gentlemen, I promise you this is going to be a great book for you, and, and you're going to hear more about this uh, this week, and we pray that you'll just get a copy, and as a church, we'll do this fast together. Well, let's go back and talk about rule number one, walk by faith. Walk by faith. You know, walking by faith is challenging. Because we're wired for our five senses, aren't we? And that dominant sense is undoubtedly sight. And so we, we look at our circumstances, we look at our bank account, we look at our, our relationships, we look at our situation at work, and we're dominated by that five, one of those five senses, sight. But God says, no, I want you to walk by faith. So I'm gonna take you on this journey, and I want you to understand that faith needs to be three things. It needs to have, first of all, it needs to be deliberate. You need to be intentional and deliberate about your faith. What am I believing God for? What am I trusting God for? You should be able to articulate it. You should be able to write it down. This is what I want to see God do. Why is that important? Well, you want to see the hand of God. You want to see the answers come, and the only way you can do that is know what are you believing God for. You also want to be decisive. Well, I'm not really sure I'm thinking about it. I'm praying about it. You should never have to pray about that. You should just know what you need in your life. What is the dominant thing in your life? You say, if God would do that, that would be amazing. That should be easy to find. Third thing is it should be determined. Faith can't give up. You know, it's, it's easy to give up on faith. Well, you know, I, I just, I tried, I believed God, and, and uh, I went on that journey. Well, how long were you believing God for? Oh, at least two days. Well, you know, some things don't happen immediately. Have you noticed that? They just don't happen immediately. Now, the good thing is, the way our economy is going, we're, we're conditioned to wait on everything, amen? I mean, nothing is quick anymore. I, we're doing this construction on the front out here, and I so said, how long is it gonna take to get that? I don't know, we're trying to get the supplies. Well, how hard is this to find? Well, it's very difficult to find. And then, you know, you need a component. Well, where's the component? Well, it's out in the harbor off, off of Long Beach, <laughs> along with 100 other ships with a billion dollars per ship in inventory. 
Well, we learned, so you're conditioned to wait. This is good for your spiritual life. You see, you've been expecting God to, to work like it, the economy did in the past. Hey, I got news for you. We're never going back on the economy. Things have changed permanently. They figured out exactly how to condition us to wait. Maybe it's a good thing. Well, I want to take you now to Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. And, I, and the, Joshua is an amazing book. It really is an amazing book. I want you to just start reading it. We're going to do a chapter a week and uh, give you the highlights from that chapter and help you to understand what Joshua was doing in this conquest. But listen to what it says. Very unusual scripture. Joshua sent out two men to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went out, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now, I don't know about you, but that just seems odd to me. Let me put it in modern context. We're going to send Drew and Pastor Nate, and we want you to go over and visit Brea and see, stay in the house of the prostitute named Rahab. We're saying this is not a good idea. Unless you see the big picture. You see what God is doing. Isn't it interesting that God would take a harlot and use her to bring safety to the two spies and later deliver her family and find a purpose for them? Ever noticed how easy it is to get self-righteous? Anybody here ever had? No, don't raise your hand. But, you know, it's easy to get self-righteous, isn't it? They think, well, look at me. I would never do that. No, but you do eight other things. I'm reminded of that old poem. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. It says it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was scarcely worth his while to spend much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. Who start the bidding for me? A dollar and two and then three. It's going. But wait, from the room far back came a gray-haired man. And tightening the loosened strings, he played a song as a caroling angel sings. The crowd cheered, and then the auctioneer with a voice that was low said, now what am I bid for the old violin? $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, going and gone. The crowd cheered again. They said, we don't understand what changed the worth. Quick came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. Many a man is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, A dollar, two dollars, they're going, going, but then the master comes and the foolish crowd can never understand the change that's wrought or the worth of a soul by the touch of a master's hand. You see, whenever you begin to think somehow that you're better than somebody else, step back and realize it took the same grace, it took the same power, it took the same love to bring you into the kingdom. It did to bring the worst or the best in society. You see, we're not saved by good works. We're saved by the grace and the love of God. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, it was always just God's grace. What is grace? Well, it's unmerited, undeserved favor. It's being unable to say when you get to heaven, I got here because I was better than you. It's being able to say we're all here the same way because God loved us. He showed us his mercy, his grace, and he brought us into the kingdom of God. Amen? Let me take you to Hebrews. Makes a reference to Rahab the harlot. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. How'd they fall down? By faith. 
after they were encircled seven days, by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. Now imagine this scene. Somehow these two spies end up in the house of this harlot, and already God was preparing her heart for salvation. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't know... What, if, what does God do about people who've never heard? God always gets the message too, to, through to the hungry heart. Here's Rahab. Of all people, everybody in town knew who she was. She was a marked woman, and yet God used her to confound the wise and the self-righteous. And all of a sudden, we see her go in, they go into this house, they begin to talk to her, and, and she begins to, to engineer a plan whereby she can hide them and get them out of the city. You know, when you pray, have you ever thought about your prayers and how, they, how they're answered? Why did God give you a prayer? Why did God put something on your heart? Why did you think to pray about something? Did you ever think that maybe God was doing a little bit of work ahead of the, the story that you, you're gonna tell? Do you ever think that God was prompting you in your spirit to pray a certain way? Because God wanted to answer your prayer, but he wanted you to be in partnership with him in the process of faith. Why, look at, look at what it says in Isaiah 65 and verse 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Do you realize that God is sending you answers right now to the things you're not even praying about yet? Well, why wouldn't he's God? He's not a man like you and I. He's, he's God. He is sending you answers. You're going, I wonder why I'm thinking about that. I wonder what's going on here. You know, I look back, and, and when we first started this church, we're going to celebrate our 10 years here coming up in February. But we looked at a building over here, and there were seven buildings in this little tech park next door. And I remember looking at one and thinking, well, that's not the right one. And then this one opened up. But then God put it on our heart, said, well, why don't we just buy that whole campus eventually? And it seems like such a, a big thought, right? And, uh, and now, this month, we're going to close on one of those buildings. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to have a 22,000-square-foot ministry center next door that, that God moved in your hearts. I mean, I, I remembered, let's just take you back in short history, last year, right? Over a seven-week period, you gave $1.2 million toward that building. I remember when I thought we needed 600000 talking to the board, and I said, well, guys, I, I got some bad news here. I need $1.2 million, not 600000 Well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to ask and see what happens. And God responded through that. You see, God worked through you. But God put those buildings on our heart 10 years ago. You see, just because it doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean God's not going to do it. You have, to, you have to stay in the game. Stay in the fight. Be determined. Be deliberate. Be decisive in everything you do. See what God can do. The second thing is commit your way unto the Lord. When you commit your way unto the Lord, he will make your path straight. That's what Proverbs tells us. But Joshua chapter two, verses nine through 11, listen to what Rahab says. I know that the Lord has given you the land. What? Can you imagine that? The spies are coming in and the harlot looks at you and says, I know God's gave you the land. 
Was she a prophetess? What was going on here? Look what else she says. That the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are fainthearted because of you. Now look what else she said. Look at the insight she has. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God. He is in heaven above and earth beneath. How did she get all this insight? Do you realize who frequented her house of prostitution? was way too many men who had firsthand knowledge of what was happening in the wilderness. And they were saying, well, what's been going on? And, she would, and they would say to her, well, I just, I, you're not gonna believe what's happening out there in the wilderness. There's this tribe called Israel, and God is working miracles, and she's hearing this. And you see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She was hearing the acts of God and responding in faith by the miracles that God was working in the wilderness. God used her weird, unusual situation to be a catalyst for even faith of the spies. How did they feel when they got done? Wow, you're not gonna believe. We went back there, we heard this woman, and she's told us all about the fear, and that the land is afraid of us. We can't do anything but take the land. She's already said God gave us the land. Have you ever noticed when someone speaks a word of, that's positive and, and future-based and, and hope, have you ever noticed how it inspires you? Even something as, as simple as, hey, I just think it's all gonna work out. And it may not, but you know, just hearing those words, they're powerful, aren't they? You see, sometimes we need permission to do certain things. And what I mean by that is somebody says, hey, I think you should go ahead and do that. Yeah, I think I will. Why didn't I do it before? Because there's something in us that needs each other. We need to inspire one another in faith. We need to inspire one another for our future endeavors in life. What did she recognize here? She recognized there was a demonstration of God's power. There was a demonstration of God's power happening in the world in which she lived, and she responded to it. There was also a confession of God's majesty. This is God. We're not talking about just powerful armies. We're talking about God did something in the wilderness. I want you to know, when you begin to understand that God's power and God's majesty are on your side, it's gonna be amazing. But there was also an appeal to God's compassion. What about me? Can you take care of me? Can you help me out in this situation? You know, that's the, that should, should be the heart cry of every single one of us. God, will you help me? Will you rescue me? Never become so selfish, sufficient, you don't think God can do something in your life, amen? Well, let's look at what it says in Joshua chapter two, verses 12 and 13. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, listen to what she says, that I have, uh, I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. You know what that was? It was gonna be a scarlet thread. A scarlet thread, Oh, that seems unusual. Yeah, it is unusual. And it says, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that have, have and deliver them their lives. Well, what's going on here? They're gonna tell her to take that scarlet thread, tie it on the window, and let it hang out the window. So when they come in to take the land, that house will be protected. You know, God loves a scarlet thread. Do you remember back in the day of Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis? And it says that Cain offered an acceptable sacrifice. You know what he brought? He brought a lamb. And there was the beginning of the scarlet thread. 
that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that scarlet thread would begin to see. And then Adam and Eve, what did they, what did they have? They, well, they had, God had to clothe them with an animal. What? Scarlet thread. In, in Isaiah's day, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as what? Snow. Why, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was Jesus. Why, Revelation says he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, there is a scarlet thread of redemption. You cannot get away from it. It is always the blood of sacrifice that God has given for you and for me. I remember one time we were in seminary and a friend had asked us to go speak at this church. He was gonna be out of town and we were gonna speak uh, over a weekend, a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday. And this is a very unusual story. So you got your seatbelts on, are you ready? Okay, and so uh, I got up and on Friday night, I had mapped out everything I was going to do in my, in my mind and, and I had laid it all out, but I didn't have it in my Bible, I didn't have anything like that. So Friday night, I got up and I preached on the blood of Christ. And I'll never forget, a guy walked up to me, his name was Brother O.C. That's all I remember about him. Very dignified looking guy, had a suit on, walked up to me, and he said, uh, hey preacher, don't speak on the blood of Christ again. Well, that's an unusual thing to hear from somebody in church. Don't speak on the blood of Christ again. And I said, well, I, I plan to. Didn't plan to at that point, but I do now. <laughs> and I had a little New Testament, and I put it up on the, on the roof of my car, and apparently I drove off, and just in the conversation, forgot all about it. Got home, couldn't find the Bible, and, and uh, I got a call saying that, hey, we found your Bible, it's out here, but all the, a lot of the pages have been torn out. It looks like an animal got a hold of it. So I got over there, and I got the Bible, and sure enough, I still have that little Bible. Sure enough, pages were torn out, and it looked like teeth marks on, all over the outside of this Bible. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I, I opened it up, and I noticed that um, there was a section that was torn out. was Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Just the whole page was ripped out. I thought, how unusual. I was going to speak on that today. And then I went over, and I looked at Philippians 2, and that page was torn out. And I hadn't, in my Bible, I hadn't laid out what books I was going to speak on. What my sermons were going to be were not announced. I was the only one who knew those. Now, you say, what happened, preacher? I don't know, but it was unusual. Do not underestimate the demonic's attacks in your life. Do not assume because someone says the right things that they're living the right things. Do not assume that someone who says they're Christian are Christian. See, Jesus, if he told us anything, it was the parable of the wheat and the tares, that you're gonna have tares grow up among you. Be careful, be watchful, Watch over your souls on a daily basis. Look what it says here. She said, according, look what he says, never accept defeat. Rule three. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Never accept defeat. She was, had every reason to believe defeat. She was in the city that was marked for destruction. And yet what did she say? She said, According to your words, it's going to be, this is going to be true in your life. We're going to honor your faith. She was living out faith. You know what she did? She risked everything. You know what Christianity is? It's risking everything. It's risking, it's saying, I'm willing to follow Jesus regardless. That's been pretty simple. 
up until about 2019 to say those words in America. It's becoming more difficult to say those words, isn't it? Because now you realize you may be risking everything. You realize that there are really the enemies of the cross that are evident everywhere we go. And those days where we used to thank God for the freedom in America to do what we want to do, those days seem to be slipping away from us a little bit, don't they? But I want you to know, never accept defeat. Amen? You know what what the enemy can do over the course of a couple of years, God can undo in four minutes. Amen? You see, God can bring revival. God can change hearts and minds just like that. I mean, how many of you have got the testimony where you said, I was in rebellion to God, and all of a sudden, God turned my heart? What happened? God did it in an instant when you thought there was no hope. Have you ever prayed, well, we, I don't even know if, we, this guy, if this guy ever got saved, it'd be a real miracle. No, if anybody gets saved, it's a real miracle. You say, well, because they're so unrighteous? Well, what, you think you were righteous before you got saved? No. She risked everything, and she formed a new allegiance and a new alliance. She said, I'm not going to be dependent on on the past. I'm going to depend on the true God, the God of the Bible. I'm going to build my life upon a foundation of God and God alone. And regardless what comes up against me, I'm going to trust God. You see, her faith was genuine faith. Genuine faith says, it's not a, I hope I'm saved. No, it's I know that I know that I know I'm saved. That I know Christ, I've been transformed by his power, and I'm gonna live out my life for him everywhere I go, amen? Put your hands together, give God the glory, amen? Now let me show you, and I love this part, and this is number four, rule four, see the big picture. See the big picture. Matthew chapter one. Verses 1, 2, 5, 6, and 16. How's that for a collection? This is a genealogy of Jesus. Look what it says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob, Judah, and his brothers. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. You know who's in the genealogical line of Jesus? Rahab the harlot. Be careful you don't judge too quickly, amen? Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now, let me just point out something here. Did you notice it doesn't say that Joseph was the father of Jesus? It says Joseph was the husband of Mary. You see how accurate scripture is? Because who was the father of Jesus? She was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and there was a virgin birth, amen? And scripture wants us to, to, to make note of those little details there. And you see that God took Rahab, this harlot that we read about in Joshua chapter two, and all of a sudden he weaves together throughout the entire book of the Bible till it brings you to the point of Matthew and shows you God's big picture, God's plan. Do not get discouraged and think that your life is too difficult right now. Remember, God has a big plan for your life. Amen? God sees the the end from the beginning. God is working in a way that you could not even imagine. God sees the end from the beginning. 
God is looking at the end of your life and he sees it right now and he's engineering along the way everything you need to bring you to the place of understanding who he really is. Wow. You say, well, can I mess that up? Well, you can certainly delay it. You can certainly miss out on some of the blessings of God. But God still has a big plan. You see, God works out all things according to his plan. You say, well, I've got a plan. That's great. God thinks that's cute. But see, God has a better plan. Amen? God has a better plan for you. You know, the Bible says in the, in the last couple of verses of the book of Jude, there's just one chapter. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from, stall, from stumbling and cause you to stand upright in that day. Who keeps you from stumbling ultimately? God. You know why you feel bad when you sin? Because God loves you. Because God loves you. Because God says, I've got something better for you than you think you have for yourself. Why? If you have the Spirit of God, you prove that you're a son of God. And if you be without chastisement, what does that mean? If you don't feel bad when you sin, the Bible says you're not any of his. You don't know God. See, the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. Huh. So it's good to feel bad sometimes. Amen? If it brings you to righteousness. Because what? What happens when you pray? The fervent prayer of a righteous person, what? Avails much. You see that? Why does God want you to be righteous? So your prayers will get answered. So I'd like to be unrighteous and no answer to prayers. Well, you can have that. Not a good plan. Amen? Here's what, here's what John wrote in Revelation 3.8. He said, I have set before you an open door. Now think about that. I have set before you an open door that no one can shut it. Do you realize God has some doors in front of you right now that nobody can shut? That means you can't shut it either that no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You know God likes you when you have a little strength? Why? Because his grace and become sufficient. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. When you walk in humility with little strength, when you keep his word and don't deny his name, God says there's an open door for you that's gonna be clear. And some of you are praying about open doors right now. You're saying, I just wish God would show me well, remember, he's already, got, he's already got the answer. You just need to be brought into the plan. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Bow your heads with me for a moment. I, I want you to really spend a little time right now just talking to God and asking God what he has for you before we sing this last song. Let me just kind of direct your path on praying. You might pray something like this. Lord Jesus... I need some answers in my life. There's some frustrations in my life. There's some confusion. There's some too many options in my life. Whatever, whatever direction might be in your life, would you just acknowledge that to God right now? Now, God, would you bring clarity to my life? Would you show me, God? Just as you work behind the scene in a someone named Rahab or two spies that went into Jericho, would you work in my life in such a way and reveal that to me so that I can be all that you want me to be? God, I, I want to be the person who doesn't accept defeat, who sees the big picture, who walks by faith, who acknowledges you in everything that I do, God. So right now, in Jesus' name, would you just say, God, I acknowledge you as my God. 
I make you Lord of my life. I give you the power and the right and the authority to fill me with your spirit, to guide me in your truth, to lead me in your way, to make me to be a person of great influence for the kingdom of God, to change lives wherever I go. God, as I enter into a deeper relationship with you, I ask you to fill me with your spirit, give me a knowledge of your word, make me a, a just compassionate toward others, but fearless in the fight that you've given us in Jesus' name, amen.